0: If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Romans to chapter 13 to verse 12. So that we can look and see what the Apostle Paul wrote nearly 2,000 years ago. He says in verse 12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. When Paul says the night is far spent and the day is at hand, what day is he talking about? Is he just talking about daylight? Is that all? The sun's about to come out? Or is he talking about the day of the Lord is growing closer? If the day of the Lord was growing closer in Paul's day, how much closer is it today? Today. When Paul wrote this, it had been 4,000 years plus since the Garden of, Ge- of Creation at the Garden of Eden. But what is 4,000 years to the Lord? Four days. And the next 2,000 years? Just another two days. What scriptures tell us a day is the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day? Psalm 90, verse 4, 2 Peter 3 8, right? Both of which tell us the same thing. And some people would say, well, that's just a Christian concept. No, it's not. You see this multicolored chart up here. That's from the Orthodox community in Jerusalem. They also say that the 6,000 years from the Garden of Eden to the coming of the kingdom is represented by the first six days of creation. And that what we call the day of the Lord and they call the Atid Lavo, is that seventh day that is represented by the Sabbath as the 7,000 years from Garden of Eden to the new heavens and the new earth. So when Paul says the day is at hand, what he means is let's get ready for it. Now, upon a verse like this, they base the doctrine of What? What's the doctrine that says the rapture can come at any minute? Doctrine of eminence. Which means that the Apostle Paul thought the rapture was going to happen in his daytime. While he was still alive. No, he didn't. What he was trying to tell us is that we should live in every generation. In expectation. Being ready. Making ourselves ready. And how do we make ourselves ready? We build up our faith and sanctify ourselves because of our faith. Exactly right. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul taught about this to many different groups. So Paul didn't expect the rapture to come at Rosh Hashanah in his lifetime. Paul expected at Rosh Hashanah, but not necessarily in his lifetime. He just knew that it was coming. The reason people say he thought it was going to be any moment in his lifetime is because he said, and we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Therefore, he thought it was himself. No, he meant we as believers, that there would be believers in the world when it was time for the trumpet to blow. Ephesians 5, 1 through 14 really gets to the heart of this matter. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. How do we imitate God? Do we walk in the sins of the world? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. The one that looks like one finger. That one. Okay. Now y'all be nice. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. That's the same thing Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. When he said imitate me as I also imitate Messiah. First, same thing John said in First John chapter 2, verse 6, that we should walk as Messiah walked. But if he says be imitators of God, how did God demonstrate to us the way to live? Through Messiah. That's exactly right. And as dear children, do you find children to be dear Who are disobedient, disrespectful, and you guys are looking at me like you're crazy. Yeah, that's right. As dear children means like obedient children who love the Father. If you love God, how do you treat God? With respect, with love. You walk uprightly. You keep his commandments. In fact, I think Messiah said something like that. Let me think, was it, if you love me, comma, keep my commandments. Verse 2, and walk in love. If you walk in love toward God, will you offend God? Will you break his commandments? Will you sit in his presence? No. If you walk in love toward your neighbor, do you rob from your neighbor? Do you offend your neighbor? Do you covet the things of your neighbor? Again, the answer is no. So if you walk in love toward God and your neighbor, you will not break the commandments says, and walk in love as Messiah also has loved us and given himself for us. Meaning what? Could he have avoided the crucifixion? Could he have called 10,000 angels? He could have, but then what? Then we'd be lost. He preferred to lay down his life that you and I might live. That's the ultimate example of love. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, but. The but is now, here's how not to live. This is not what I mean. But fornication. fornication is sex outside of marriage, and all uncleanness. What does the word "all" mean? Everything except, hey, we can still eat pig, shrimps and lobsters? No. Avoid all uncleanness. Why? Because Leviticus 11 says it makes your soul unclean. And God said, be ye holy as I am holy. He says that twice in Leviticus 11. It's quoted by Peter in his epistles. Or covetousness. Covetousness is not driving down the road, seeing a nice car, going and say, hey, that's a nice car. Covetousness is saying, they have that and I want it. I want it. And they better be careful, I'm gonna take it. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. That word saints means holy ones. And where are the characteristics of a saint described for us? In Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, when it says, What? Who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua? Is it an either or? No. Why do we keep the commandments of God? It's because of faith. That's why we do it. Verse 4, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, rather giving of thanks. For this you know. And there's, there's an asterisk. What is that Asterisk. If you go to the NIV in those Bibles, they will have changed these words. But this is exactly what Paul meant to tell us. You already know this. Why? Because he's talked to them before. This is not his first time. That no fornicator, no unclean person, no covetous man who's an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Messiah and God. Whoa, is that pretty straightforward? Nope. But, but if I walked down the aisle when I was a child and repeated after the pastor and, and got baptized up front in the little bathtub they have, then I can go do these things, right? Nope. No. The answer is no. What do you think he means by no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who's not a has any inheritance in the kingdom of Messiah and God? He means that children of God don't do these things. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Why would he throw that in there? Are there going to be people who will try to deceive us to tell us that it's okay to do these things? I look shocked. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So Paul says, if you're doing these things that he's describing here, you're not a child of God. You're a child of the devil. Is that what he said in 1 John 3.10? This is how you tell one from the other? Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Meaning be careful that you don't encourage them and accompany them in their sins says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. Why does he use the word walk? The word walk in Hebrew is halak. What is the Jewish term for the way we walk in accordance with the scriptures? Halakha. So he's using very Hebraic terms to say, as you live your life day in and day out, don't walk in darkness. Walk in the light. And who's the light? Messiah is the light, of course. Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. Is lawlessness a fruit of the Spirit? It is not. It's the opposite. And what is truth? Torah is truth. Psalm 119 verse 142. The word of God is truth. Messiah is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. We have all four verses which tell us that all four must agree. The Torah must agree with the word of God, which must agree with Messiah, which must agree with the Holy Spirit. Because God is not a God of confusion. Verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Messiah will give you light. Let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 35. John chapter 4, verse 35. Here's the way Messiah describes the day is at hand, so be careful what you do. He says, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? What time of year would they say that? The time of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, otherwise called Pentecost. Because you've got June, July, August, and then September when comes the fall harvests. In Leviticus 23, there's the harvest period between the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, or Pentecost, And the fall festivals. He says. Behold I say to you. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields. For they are already white for harvest. Meaning the harvest began. Two thousand years ago. In Acts chapter 2. At Shavuot. The feast of weeks or Pentecost. And continue until what? Until the fall festivals are completed. The rapture and the resurrection. The second coming of the Lord. And the establishment of the kingdom. Harvest is in how many parts? Three parts. First are the first fruits. What were the first fruits of this harvest? That was Messiah's resurrection and those who in Matthew 27 came out of the graves after his resurrection. And were seen by many. Where's the main harvest? That's Revelation chapter 4. When the trumpet blows, hopefully in about six or so weeks, but we shall see. So when's the gleanings of the harvest? In Revelation chapter 20, at the end of the Battle of Armageddon, the tribulation period ends. And Revelation chapter 20 is the conclusion of the harvest. So Messiah says, don't wait to start sharing the gospel. Start bringing people into the kingdom now. He could have said, oh, sit back and wait for 2,000 years. Just don't worry about it. And what would have happened to the gospel?
1: Just
0: it would have died out, wouldn't it? But for the last 2,000 years, those who've been obedient to the Lord's command, I'm sorry I shouldn't laugh, have been keeping the gospel alive and spreading it around the world. What caused a little chuckle? Turn to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to have to stop watching so many other preachers. (laughs) Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20 is the Great Commission. You guys all know that. You knew that before we turned there. Verse 18, and Yeshua came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the preacher, his whole talk was on this Matthew chapter 28. When he got to verse 20, with teaching them to observe all things, he says, all things refers to this verses 18 to 20.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is to teach them to go out and make converts and baptizing so they can go make converts and baptize them. Oh, boy. First Thessalonians chapter five. God has commanded us a whole lot more than that, but not more than you and I can do. First Thessalonians. Say the grace, telling me to be quiet, <laughs> not talk so loudly. Sorry, I'll try. First Thessalonians chapter five. Verses 4 through 10, here's another way the Apostle Paul put it. After describing the rapture and the resurrection, and how it's coming, and you know it's coming if you understand the appointed times of Leviticus chapter 23. Verse 4, it says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. What separates you who understand from they who don't? those that understand keep the feasts and the festivals and they teach us the first and second coming of the Lord according to Joel 2 how do we know that God will fulfill the fall festivals because he fulfilled the spring festivals did he do it sort of almost he did it to the very hour of the very day of the very month when God said he would do it Verse 5, you were all sons of light and sons of the day, were not of the night nor of darkness. Meaning, don't walk in sin, you walk in the light of the Lord. Therefore, do not let us sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober. What does that word sober mean? In our right minds. Sometimes I wonder about my mind, but okay. It means being in your right mind, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. But you only have the hope of salvation if you're dwelling in the faith and love of God. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. It's just this week I had people object to this and say, no, no, no. We've got to go through the tribulation period. We've got to have God's wrath poured out on us. Mm-hmm. That if every husband pours out his wrath upon the bride right before the wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Come on. <laughs> Y'all looking at me like, who would think such a thing? The answer is too much of the world. I yeah. But this says what? God did not appoint us to wrath. When is God's wrath poured out? In the tribulation period. But it doesn't end with our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. It says who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep. We should live together with him. There's that same we Paul is using. To describe himself and all believers. He says some of us will live to see it. Some of us will not. Okay, back to Romans chapter 13. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Do those things characterize believers or unbelievers? Unbelievers. And Paul says, don't walk like they walk. Don't live like they live. Don't act like they act. So let us go to a commentary. The Liberty Bible Commentary, page 398. You know, sometimes I criticize the commentary. And other times they say, boy, they really got that one right. Here's what they say about it those who have received the light must walk in the light. The manner of life which spawns riotous living, drunken bouts, sexual orgies, and all forms of wanton revelry cannot be that of those who walk honestly. Or honorably when a person claims to be a Christian if he cannot change his lifestyle he'd better change his name Amen. yeah I really liked what that had to say meaning don't call yourselves a follower of Messiah if you're walking in the sins of the world what does that do to the name of God when we walk in the sins of the world Back to Romans chapter 13, verse 14. But, put on the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. He doesn't mean literally make a coat out of the Lord and put it on. What does he mean? Walk like he does. Imitate him. Put on the Lord Yeshua the Messiah and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. I mentioned it a few minutes ago but we didn't turn to it 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. says imitate me as I also imitate Messiah or modern language do what I do for I do what Messiah did and I mentioned 1 John 2 6 let's turn to it now and let's just see what it really says. He who says he abides in him. Ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Did Messiah walk in sin? Never. Did he keep the commandments of God? Always. Always. How do we know he kept the commandments of God? What testimony do we have? His own own in Romans, uh, in John chapter 15, right? Turn back to John chapter 15. Verse 10, John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. The book they say teaches that we're not to keep those commandments anymore. But what does it say? Verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What is sin? Lawlessness. So shall we continue in lawlessness that grace may abound? The answer is? May May genoito. Genoito. Certainly not. (laughs) How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Stop for a moment and think. Close your eyes and put yourself in the Garden of Eden. All the way back in Genesis. God said, Thou shalt not eat from that tree. And the serpent, representing Satan, said, Yeah, go ahead and eat from it. Did they obey God or did they obey the serpent? They obeyed the serpent. Why is Satan called the God of this world? Let's look at Romans 6 16 since we're here. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves servants to obey? You are that one's servants whom you obey. Whether a sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So who did they obey? They obeyed the serpent who then Did they elect to be their God? The serpent. If the book of Romans in chapter 15 says we're to learn lessons from the Old Testament, what lesson do we learn from that? If God says do A and somebody else says do B, what should we do? We should do A. What if the traditional church has been doing B since the Council of Nicaea? Does that make it right? Whom do we obey? Go to Galatians chapter five verse 16. Galatians chapter five verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? Walk in accordance to the way that God has laid out for us to go, right? Another way to say that is if you are walking in God's ways then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh, you must deviate from the path. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Written specifically to believers that come out of the Gentile world. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. What's this mean? The wages of sin is death and that's the way we were headed. And God turned us around. In which you once walked. What's the meaning? In which you once walked. Used to, but not anymore. Which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That's that same serpent. That's that same Satan. How did he get to be the prince of the power of the air? All the way back in the Garden of Eden. Before that. What? What? He in charge of giving praise to the
1: Lord? His musical instrument. Oh, yes,
0: before he fell. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. The spirit now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. None of us were born as believers, right? We all started out as sinful human beings, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That is, we did what we wanted to do. And were by nature children of wrath just as the others, meaning what we had common was that woodshed experience. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you have been saved. But you know what? In the Greek, it's not past tense. Is that this is the method by which we are saved. And raise us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. That hasn't happened yet, but you know what? It's going to. Mm -hmm. Then the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Messiah Yeshua. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Again, the Greek says that's how we are saved. And that, not of yourselves, is the gift of God. What verse 8 is trying to tell us is, our faith is what brings us to salvation. But it doesn't mean God owes us anything. It's simply that God, by his grace and mercy, will pour out forgiveness upon those who come to him in faith. Not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Messiah Yeshua for good works. What's that word for mean? This is the purpose. We're supposed to. What's good works? Obey God and walk uprightly. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that's when we get to verse 11 and following. Which says now stop being Gentile. Be that one new man. Doesn't matter if you were born a Jew or a Gentile. What matters is if you've been saved by faith, walk uprightly before God, loving one another. In way, yes, sir? In, the verse 10, that shows us in verse 10, that shows us
1: that
0: God, that, in that God prepared all this beforehand that we should walk in. That God prepared all this beforehand that we should walk in. All of what? All of the commandments. All of the commandments. There was no Plan B. In Genesis 1.14, that word "seasons" is what "moedim," the appointed times, which set forth the first and second coming of the Lord, the redemption of mankind through the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. Because it's taught so much that like, its taught so much that God had,
1: this plan. God had
0: this plan that did not work out. So, it send Jesus. so he had to send Jesus as Plan B. And the Bible says this was the plan from the very beginning. We get taught a lot of things. And what did Messiah keep saying? You've heard it said. But I tell you, it's written. We are up to chapter 14. Oh, chapter 14 causes so many people to stumble. And it's titled in my Bible, Do Not Be a Stumbling Block. It causes so many people to stumble. How odd is that?
1: Ours says the law of liberty. Yours says
0: the law of liberty. (laughs)
1: This one says, Let Christ judge another's
0: conscience. (laughs) Okay. So let's see what it's really about. (laughs) Chapter 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith. First thing you know is they're in the faith, but their faith is not strong. That's what it means. One who's weak in a the faith, they have faith, but it's very weak. They're very fragile. If you're not careful, these people can walk away from their faith, and we don't want our conduct to be what causes them to walk away. Receive one who's weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. See that word but in italics? It's not there. It's explaining don't let disputes over doubtful things destroy one of God's children whose faith is still weak and immature. The first thing we have what's that? What is a doubtful thing? That was what I'm about to say. The first thing we need to know is what is a doubtful thing? To the traditional church, that means the commandments of God. Is that how Paul viewed the commandments of God? It is not. So let's go look. Turn first to the book of Acts, where we will hear Paul with his own lips. Acts 24, verse 14. Acts 24, verse 14. But this I confess to you. This is Paul speaking before Felix. That according to the way, in Acts chapter 9, the church was first called the way. In Hebrew, haderic. They were called the way because Messiah says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So they called themselves the way. According to the way, which they call a sect, which means it was just considered another sect of Judaism, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. That was Haderic. So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the Torah and in the prophets. So what portion of the law did Paul believe? All of it. All of it. Also in Acts chapter 27. Verse 17. I'm sorry, it's Acts 28 verse 17. I think I said 27. Acts 28 verse 17. Just back up the tape and fix it. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. If Paul has been breaking God's commandments and teaching people to do so, would this be a true statement? The answer is absolutely not. So for Paul to say, I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers means he has continued to follow the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God just as we read in Acts chapter 21 and 24, verse 14. And let's go to 2 Timothy. Because some people say, well, Paul may have followed the commandments, but that's because he was a Jew and he couldn't get over his bad upbringing. But that's not what the scripture says. In 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is Paul's instruction to Timothy who is the pastor of a church installed by Paul. Brought to the Lord by Paul. Taught by Paul. Discipled by Paul. Consider Timothy his son in the faith. In verse 16 he says every scripture. I know the the English here says all scripture. The Greek says every scripture. Is given by inspiration of God which does not carry the meaning of the Greek, which is is God breathed. So every scripture is that which has come out of the mouth of God and been recorded for us. Every time in the scripture says, And the word of the Lord came to me saying, That is scripture. Is God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, this is what Paul means by he believes all of the Torah that every bit of it is for our instruction, every bit of it is for us to be able to live in a way that's pleasing unto God. So, what are doubtful things? go back to Romans chapter 14. Doubtful things have been commanded by whom? By man. If you turn back to Mark chapter 7 we'll see what Messiah has to say about man-made rules and regulations. Is the Catholic Church correct that church doctrine takes precedence over the Bible? knew. But the Pharisees thought the same thing. That their interpretations were more important than God's actual words. Yeah, they had a big (laughs) head. But here's what Messiah had to say. He answered and said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it's written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines The commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. So think back to the Garden of Eden. God said do A, and the Pharisees say no, don't do A, do B. What does Messiah say? Do A. It doesn't matter who it is that says stop following God's commandments, do this other thing instead. It's always wrong. And it means that you do not put God first because your faith is lacking. Unfortunately. So, what doubtful things are we talking about? Let's go back to Romans 14. It's talking about a Monday and Thursday fast. What, what verse was
2: that, Mark 7
0: What do we read in Mark chapter 7? Six. Let me turn back down. Do, do, do. Yeah, verses 6 and 7. That's what we read. Yeah, and she was asking about Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. Okay. So, the disputes over doubtful things, the specific doubtful things here being discussed are a rabbinically required partial fast every Monday and every Thursday. Let's go back to the book of Luke, chapter 18, where we read about it. Yes. I have a, I have a note here about the word in Greek means an inward reasoning or an opinion. The word in Greek means an inward reasoning or opinion. So something that is man-made, not God-provided. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. So let's go back to Luke. Thank you for that, Daniel. Luke, chapter 18. Verse 12. In the parable that Messiah tells about the Pharisees. Let's just read the whole parable. Start in verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in, them, in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That as they look down on others who don't do the same things that they require of themselves. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. How did the Jewish people feel about tax collectors? Mm. Boo, that's right. Well, how do they feel about the Pharisees? That they were God's elite. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and who humbles himself will be exalted. But let's go back to verse 12. Does God command us to fast twice a week? No. How many times a year are we commanded to fast? Once. That's Yom Kippur, and it's a total fast. But the Pharisees said, oh, we must fast every Monday and Thursday. And it's not a total fast like Yom Kippur. It's a partial fast. You can eat vegetables and drink water, but you cannot eat meat or drink wine. Like the what? Daniel's fast? Yeah, like Daniel, he refused to eat the meat and drink the wine, but he ate the vegetables and drank the water. Yeah, true. And I give tithes of all that I possess. Did God not command to give tithes of all they possess? The answer is no. The commandment for the tithe was on the increase. So what the tax collector is saying God may require A, but I do B, so I'm so much better because I do what I think should be done, not what God commanded. So let's go back to Romans 14. Do you know
2: where they got that that fast from?
1: Did they just make it
0: up? They just made it up because they say that Moses went up on Mount Sinai on, on a Monday and he came down on a Thursday. So they command the people to do it, to show that they honor the Pharisees and respect the Pharisees and do what the Pharisees command rather than God. So it's a question of who do you give your love and your faith and your worship to? Yep, they want it in themselves. So that's what chapter 14 is about. If you don't understand that, you can totally misunderstand What's going on here? Let's look also at Mark 2 before I get too far afield. Mark 2. Verse 18. Mark 2 verse 18. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. This is that Monday, Thursday fast. Then they came and said to him, to Messiah, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So in other words, why don't you make your disciples do what we the Pharisees commanded? Do you not respect our authority? Are you not going to bow down and kiss my ring when I hold it out? Okay. So that tells you this fast of every Monday and Thursday is not from God or Messiah and his disciples would be fasting. But he he also says
2: that they're not fasting because he's with them right now.
0: And that kind of implies they will fast. Because they will fast in mourning when he's taken away. They will mourn. It doesn't mean necessarily they'll do the Monday-Thursday fast.
2: Because there's fasting all throughout the scripture, like the times of
0: repentance. Yeah, there's a lot of personal times of prayer and fasting. Like when they said, why can't we cast out this demon? He said, this kind only gets casted out by prayer and fasting. But there's a difference between I choose to fast today and... The Pharisees said I have to. So I have to honor the Pharisees and do what they tell me.
2: Right, And then you're not even supposed to let anybody
0: know. like You're right.
2: supposed to look all sad and unhappy.
0: Right. Who tells us what we have to do and not do? The Lord. The Lord. Okay. So back to this. Verse 2. For one believes he may eat all things. Here's where the traditional church misunderstands, says, aha, they're eating piggies, they're eating roadkill, they're eating aborted babies. No, they're not. But he was weak, he eats only vegetables. So those that are strong in the faith are eating meat and drinking wine on Mondays and Thursdays, while those that are weak in the faith say, oh, we have to keep this Pharisee commanded fast. That's the discussion here. Who do we obey? God or man. Those that are weak in a the faith, they're fragile. They're just beginning to learn. They they just they've just come to faith. And how many of you had to unlearn some things along the way? So did they. So did they. So verse three says, "Let not him who eats, that is, who eats the steak or the lamb." They're not eating pigs, they're not eating shrimp. They're eating meat, as permitted by God. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. That is, you don't look down on and make fun of those that have not yet been able to let go of the Pharisees' commanded fasts. Now, does the Pharisee commanded fast violate a commandment of God? No. That's why it's a doubtful thing. God didn't command it, nor did he prohibit it. So the Pharisees are commanding it, and those that are weak are saying, well, you know, we've always done it this way. So it's different if if those that are strong in the faith are eating pigs, and those weak in the faith are not. That would be an entirely different situation. And it just would be untenable, according to the scriptures and lot of him who does not eat judge him who eats for god has received him so what we have here is the people that are weak in the faith are getting mocked and made fun of by the others and paul's saying wait a minute you're going to drive them away from messiah that's not walking in love that's not treating your brother as you would have someone treat you so don't condemn him for doing something that god did not forbid Verse 4, who are you to judge another servant? Meaning they will answer to God come judgment day. If he didn't want them to do this fast, they'll have to answer to him, not to you, not to me. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. Is salvation based upon doubtful things or the commandments of God? The commandments of God.
2: Yes, sir.
0: So let me see. There's something. Okay. Susie Q and Danny to everyone. I have always typed questions on the days he unable to communicate. Okay. Mm-hmm. When people in this group are trying to ask questions, we can hear each other, but you cannot hear us. Okay, then I guess they're going to have to type it because if I can't hear them, then I don't know how to respond before service started I was talking to people and they were responding so is it just some people or is it everybody Susie says Edmund had a question okay Edmund what's your question I don't hear it I don't hear anything let me come up and find Edmund he is not muted. Yep, uh, Susie says he's talking, but I can't hear. In fact, I'm getting lots of people coming in and telling me he's talking, but I can't hear. But I'm sorry, I simply cannot hear. So let's go back to Romans chapter 14. I'm sorry, Edmund, I wish I could hear it because I always appreciate your comments. Jerry's saying he can hear him. Well, it doesn't help me much. I don't know what the problem is. We had that last week too. Some of them could hear, and some couldn't. Some could, some couldn't. And in Hebrew class after service <clears throat> last week, I could hear all the students back and forth. I don't know why. So, all those people out there guessing why he, he can't doesn't help me any. I did ask. Okay. So back to Romans 14. When we come to verse 5, we are not changing topics. Although we're changing from what's being eaten to the days of the week. So in verses 1 through 4, the traditional church says... This says some people are eating pigs and others aren't eating pigs and we shouldn't judge each other. You can eat pigs if you want to. That's exactly the opposite of what's being said here. Some are following God and eating all the foods that he said we can eat and others are following rabbinic prohibitions against eating some of the food. Um, We'll get to that more in a minute. So verse 5 Begins to talk about days of the week. Let me see, I got another red one out there. Richard Page says, can't hear me either. Okay, I I understand. There's some people out there trying to talk and I can't hear them, I'm sorry. There's nothing on my end I've done to keep people from talking. Okay, verse five. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike, but each be fully convinced in his own mind. The traditional church says this is talking about the Sabbath. That you don't have to keep God's Sabbath. You can keep any day you want so long as it's Sunday. <laughs> but this is still talking about the Monday-Thursday fast. Some people treat Monday and Thursday different because Moses ascended one day, he descended the next and that the pharisees have commanded it but let's keep going and we will see that we have not changed topics he observes the day observes it to the lord he who does not observe the day to the lord he does not observe it he who eats eats to the lord for he gives god thanks he does not eat to the lord he does not eat and gives god thanks see it's the same topic suppose you think on wednesdays You ought to not wear shoes. Did God command you to wear shoes every day? No. So let God decide whether you're not wearing shoes on Wednesdays was good or not good. But why should I condemn you because you don't wear shoes on Wednesdays? Verse 7 For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself, which means we are a community. And I can't just say, well, I have the God-given right to do this and I don't care how it affects your faith. I have to care about your faith. I'm supposed to build you up. We're supposed to build up each other. And that's the only way it can work is that we build each other up. For if we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, We are the Lord's. And to this end, Messiah died and rose and lived again. That he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? What's that word judge mean? They're what? They're condemning people because they don't eat meat on Mondays and Thursdays. That's exactly what it means. They're condemning each other. They're saying you don't belong in the church. You're not a child of God. You don't eat meat on Mondays and Thursdays. Some of the people in here are vegetarian. Oh my goodness. So what? Did God tell us we have to eat meat? No. Verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Messiah. Again, he says, if God doesn't like it, he'll explain it. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. So we start out talking about eating. Then we went to days of the week. Then we went back to eating. And if you read a traditional commentary, Paul keeps changing topics. But you can see as he goes through one to the other, back to the other, that it's all the same topic. And that is these Monday, Thursdays, partial fasts. First of all, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. You don't have to give an account to me. You have to give an account to God. And come judgment day, how do you want to stand before the Lord? In righteousness or in lawlessness? I know how I want to stand before Him. Therefore, you know what therefore means? Paul's now going to bring it down to the most simple of basics. Therefore, let us not judge, that is, condemn one another anymore. Keep a finger here, go back to 2 Timothy again. 2 Timothy. Chapter 6. Wait a minute. Chapter 3. Let's go to chapter 3. Verse 16 and 17. What is scripture good for? For doctrine. What is doctrine? That's what we teach. It's our listing of beliefs. For reproof. Reproof is, why are you not following God's commandments? Why do you do this when God said that? That's not condemning, that's called reproving. You ought to stop doing that because judgment day is coming. For correction. For correction is you have misunderstood and it has led you astray. Let's get you back on the right path. Let's correct the path. And instruction in righteousness is obvious in itself. This is the way we're to walk before God. So back to verse 13. Did you see the word judge or condemn anywhere in that? The answer is no. Now, if somebody is blatantly breaking the commandments of God, what does Paul say? Put them out of the congregation. But what commandments are these people breaking when they will not eat meat on Mondays and Thursdays? There's no commandment. So therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Because when you start jumping all over these young people that are just coming to faith, might you drive them away? Might you turn them away from God? That would be the greatest injustice ever. Verse 14 is where we get into what I would hope is an unintentional mistranslation. But I kind of wonder. Verse 14 says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Yeshua that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, it to him is unclean. That's not what this verse says in the Greek. I want you to write down two words in your notes. One is koinon, K-O-I-N-O-N, koinon. The other is akathartos. A-K-A-T-H-A-R-T-O-S. The word koinon does not mean unclean. It is the word common in Acts chapter 10. When Peter says, I've never anything common or unclean, koinon is common. Ekathartos is unclean. So let's take a few minutes and look at that. Oh, let me add to also to this discussion a pulpit commentary on Luke 18, 12. We looked at a few minutes ago, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. This is from biblehub.com, from the pulpit commentary. Verse 12, I fast twice in the week. There was no such precept in the law of Moses. There was only a single fast day in the year that was enjoined, the day of atonement, Leviticus 16.29. By the time of Zechariah the prophet, Zechariah 8.19, The one fast day had grown into four, but this fasting twice every week was a burdensome observance imposed in the later oral law. Thursday and Monday were the appointed fasting days because tradition related how on those days Moses ascended and descended from Sinai. Compare what's written in the Talmud in treatise Bava Kama, folio 82, page 1. Just to have something in your notes that says, I didn't just make this up. Okay. I know you didn't figure I did anyway. But okay. Let's take a look at Koinon and Akathartos. First, I want you to go back to Acts chapter 10, which is where Peter gets the vision from God that the traditional church says, tells us we can eat pigs, but it most certainly does not. Acts chapter 10, verse 13. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. That word common there is koinos. Unclean is akathartos. Unclean is forbidden by God. Common is forbidden by the rabbis. So up to this point, Peter's been fasting on Mondays and Thursdays, that is, avoiding meat and avoiding wine. I knew growing up in northern Ohio, where we had an awful lot of Catholic students, that we had to have fish every Friday because the Catholics were forbidden to eat meat on Friday. What I didn't know is there was another day in the week, too, that they were forbidden to eat meat, Wednesday. So they just picked different days. Instead of Monday and Thursday, it was Wednesday and Friday. But it was the same concept. If you bow to our authority, you will avoid meat on these two days. Ah, Let's go to Mark chapter 7. Okay. I had forgotten that. Mark chapter seven. Verses one through three. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. When I got three red comments out here again. Okay, that's what I'm trying to explain here, Richard. Verse 1, then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. In verse 2, do you see that word defiled? That is koinon. That is Common, They're defiled because they did not follow the man-made requirement to wash them with the two-handled cup in what's called netilat yadayim. Is there anything wrong with their hands? No. Are they eating pigs? The answer is no. They didn't use a two-handled cup required by the Pharisees. That's that same word that we see in Acts chapter 10. I want to look at a few other instances where koinon appears. We looked at Acts chapter 10 verse 14. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 10 to verse 28 where Paul explains the vision. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Whose law is it that the Jewish man can't keep company with or go to one of another nation? That's the rabbinical rule by the Pharisees. And I should not call any man common or unclean. That's the same two words, koinos and akathartos. So the purpose of the vision, how many men had Cornelius sent to Peter? Three. Three, three Gentiles. How many times did God say from heaven, rise, Peter, kill, and eat? Three times. How many times did Peter say, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean? Three times. Then who comes knocking on the door? The three Gentiles. And Peter says, now I understand it. Verse 34, he further explains. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. That is no partiality between Jew and Gentiles. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So the Pharisees may have called Cornelius' men unclean, but did God? God did not. What God has cleansed, that's referring to the Gentiles to whom God has granted salvation by faith. Go to Acts chapter 11. Peter is again explaining what's happened in the vision. In verse 8. Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. Those two things are not parallel. Common is forbidden by the rabbis. Unclean, forbidden by God. And we've got four more pages of Koinos versus Koinon versus Akathartos, but I think that's enough. Let's go back to Romans chapter 14. I've got two red circles out there. Let's see. I'll just hit mute all. Okay. So let's come back to Romans chapter 14 verse 14 and see what Paul actually was trying to get across to us. I know and am convinced by the Lord Yeshua that there is nothing common of itself. That is the rabbis have don't, don't have any authority to declare something unclean that God has not declared unclean. But to who considers anything to be common To him, it is common, which means these young believers, weak in their faith, believe that it's wrong to eat meat on Mondays and Thursdays. It's not wrong, but they think it's wrong. But if they say, Well, I I think this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway, is that a right thing to do? That's a wrong attitude if you believe God does not want you to do something and you do it anyway because who's God to tell me the attitude's wrong so they believe that the rabbis are giving them good advice but they're wrong but why is this different from the preachers tell us to eat pigs when God said not to The difference is, God didn't say that these people had to eat meat on Mondays and Thursdays. So they're not violating any of God's commandments. When the preachers today tell us we must eat pigs, they're telling us we have to disobey God. That's where we draw the line. It's like we were studying the other week about we're to follow the man-made governments, the kings and, and presidents that are appointed over us. But then we keep saying, but to a point, and what's that point? When we would violate a commandment of God, we follow God, not man. So here, they're following the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are wrong, but God did not command us to eat meat on Mondays and Thursdays, and therefore, (coughs) we're not doing anything wrong when we do it. Oh my goodness, have I left out all kinds of notes. Let me. Oh, well. I guess those don't much matter. <laughs> okay. Let's go back to Romans chapter 14. And we'll pick up at verse 15. And I'll try and get back to my notes. Verse 15 says, Yet, if your brother is greed because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. So the brother who thinks you're not allowed to eat that meat, even though they're wrong, should I eat it anyway? I'll just eat it in their face. What is that? No, that gives the wrong answer. You're not walking in love do not destroy with your food the one for whom Messiah died. Can I eat a salad once in a while? If it keeps somebody from being pushed away from the faith? Sure I can. So there's a difference between setting up and saying, I can do this, you just go away and shut up. And saying, you know what? (coughs) I can eat a salad. It won't hurt me. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Messiah died. Paul wouldn't be be saying this except there's a real split going on. People pushing others out of the faith improperly. If they were doing that, I don't think Paul would be so harsh. I think they're standing up with the wrong attitude and saying, nani, nani, boo-boo. And that's wrong. Hopefully it's more what you said and Paul's just overreacting. Remember, Paul's never been to Rome. He's just heard the rumors. I don't think it's true. (laughs) You don't think what's true? I think
2: he's
0: been to Rome. Not at this point. Uh, He says he hasn't. He eventually gets there, but not yet. What does it mean if your brother is grieved? What is that word? Let's go to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Go back to Matthew 17, verse 23. We'll start in verse 22 for context. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Yeshua said to them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up and they were exceedingly sorrowful. You see those words, exceedingly sorrowful? That is the same word that's translated in Romans 14 as "grieved." So it doesn't just mean they're, they're questioning, they don't understand. They were exceedingly sorrowful. That is, they feel like they're being excluded and pushed out because of what they're doing. Go to Matthew 19, where the word is used again. This is the young man who wants to know what one thing he must do to have eternal life. Verse 22 says, When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That word sorrowful, that's the same word as grieved in Romans 14 15 and one third example let's go to Matthew chapter 26 verse 22 this is at the last supper where Messiah is saying one of you is going to betray me you know what kind of emotion that would stir up in the disciples there in verse twenty two it says, And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? This phrase exceedingly sorrowful is the same word translated grieved in Romans fourteen, fifteen. So you can see it's not just a little concerned or a little confused, but they're deeply hurt. to Romans 14 verse 16 Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil What's that mean you the, you right Means you have the right to eat meat but don't let it be a stumbling block for your brother. That's all Paul's trying to say here. Um, does God forbid us to have a glass of wine now and then? He does not. It's not forbidden. Oh, I think so. Yeah. But suppose I go on to a meeting of Baptist pastors where we're going to discuss <laughs> Scripture and I order a glass of wine. <clears throat> My testimony just went out the window. They now don't care anything I have to say about the Bible. Because what does their doctrine say? The
1: only people who don't drink
0: with each other. other. Actually, that's not entirely true, but that's what they think anyway.
1: I, I heard a Baptist preacher say that.
0: Yeah. I know a Messianic rabbi who used to work as a waiter in a restaurant. all the Baptist preachers would give him extra money under the table to bring the booze and a coffee cup (laughs) this was before he got saved and his attitude was well okay they're just a bunch of hypocrites okay but let's see verse 17 for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit that is The kingdom of God is not about whether I eat a steak on Monday or Thursday or whether I eat vegetables on Monday or Thursday. Does that have anything to do with salvation? Nothing. So why fight over things that have nothing to do with salvation? And in verse 17 it says, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is where... I got a little bit curious. First of all, with righteousness, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 6. That's not a 1. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What does that verse mean? It means if you're seeking righteousness, you're going to find it. And righteousness is the opposite of lawlessness. You're not walking in lawlessness seeking righteousness. You're absolutely right there. Matthew 5.20 For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is where I heard a very famous preacher just this last week say, "The Pharisees kept absolutely every minute detail of the commandments of God." Not true. Yeah, it's not true. But see, that's what they've been taught. Actually, we just read in Mark chapter seven what the Pharisees are basing their righteousness on—is their man-made commandments. Are they following their rules and regulations? That's what they were keeping score with, and of course that's wrong. And Matthew six thirty three. So he was,
1: telling, he was telling them that you use self righteousness as your
0: guide. Exactly. Yeah. Like, if you use self righteousness as your guide, you will not make it.
2: I got a question. go ahead. Go ahead. siblings just
0: die from alcoholism alcoholism is forbidden
2: but oh yeah but it all started out with just a drink
0: so what you're saying is let's build fences and forbid what god allowed so that we don't violate what god prohibited that's what the pharisees did with their rules and regulations and that's what the baptist church did with their can't have a drink of wine so God said we can have a drink of wine. He said we cannot be drunk. So you must exercise self-control. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 33, Matthew six thirty-three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, meaning the most important thing for us to search for And to work toward is to walk uprightly before God in faith and love. Not worry about what i got to eat. That's more important. And that's kind of what Paul's saying in in Romans chapter 14. Is whether I have a steak on Monday and Thursday is not that big a deal. Seeing somebody saved and brought into the kingdom is much more important. Much more important. Let's continue on with Matthew chapter 21. My father was an alcoholic too. I don't drink at all. But it's not because I was told I can't. It's because I don't want to. God said you can Didn't say I had to. Matthew 21, 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. John came in the way of righteousness. What did God, John come preaching? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He came preaching repentance. Is repentance related to righteousness? Yes. The answer is yes. That's In a big verse.
1: way. That's my verse. Because I used to be one of them that would not control drinking or whatever. And he convicted me and turned me away from it.
0: Yep. Very good. Let's look next at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 68 to 75. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. Don't worry about the fact they say here Zacharias. That's just from the Hebrew into the Greek to the English. Remember, a masculine noun in Greek ends in an S, like Petros and Paulos, etc. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. Here's the prophecy. That's what I want you to see, starting in verse 68. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, if you don't have a thee there, put it. For he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in what holiness, holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. This is Zechariah prophesying filled with the Holy Spirit. What is man's due? Ecclesiastes 12. Fear God and keep his commandments. Zechariah puts it this way. Might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. Is there any room for lawlessness in that phrase? The answer is there is not. Acts chapter 10. Hebrews says without holiness we will not see God. Is that important? That's important. Acts 10:35. Acts 10:35. But in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Okay. That's it on verse 17 for what do we mean by righteousness. But I want now to look specifically at that phrase. In the Holy Spirit. In Greek it says in numiti hagio. In numiti hagio which means in the Holy Spirit. The word holy there is an adjective. The word spirit is a noun. So in the Holy Spirit. But now I want us to look back in the Old Testament. How many times does the phrase Holy Spirit exist in the Old Testament? What's that? Three times. Three times in the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Let's go to Psalm 51. That's a lot. But Psalm 51. I want you to see how it's different. Psalm 51 verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. The Hebrew there says. Veruach. Shekha, which means your spirit of holiness. They're both nouns. your spirit of holiness. In Isaiah 63:10, Isaiah 63.10. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. The Hebrew is Ruach Kadsho, which is his spirit of holiness. Both are nails. And Isaiah sixty three eleven. Then he remembered the days of old. Moses and his people saying, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them? His Holy Spirit there in Hebrew is Ruach Kodshav. His Spirit of Holiness. sixty three verse eleven, Isaiah sixty three verse eleven. The first one was Psalm fifty one eleven 11. your spirit of holiness. Second was Isaiah sixty three ten, Ruach his spirit of holiness. And Isaiah sixty three eleven Ruach his spirit of holiness. Now let's go to the New Testament and look at some of the places where Holy Spirit is used. We'll we'll stay in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen. Matthew one eighteen. Now the birth of Yeshua the Messiah was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. That in Greek is hagiu, which is Holy Spirit, holy there being an adjective, and spirit being a noun. Can you the phrase again in the Greek? In the Greek, it's pneumatos, if you want to spell it P-N-E-U-M-A-T-U-S I'm sorry it's O-S Pneumatos H-A-G-I-O-U Matthew one twenty. Well while he thought about these things behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying Joseph son of David do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife that which conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, which is pneumatos estim hagiu, which is spirit is holy, but again spirit is a noun, holy is an adjective. Matthew three eleven. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There the Holy Spirit is pneumati hagio, and again, as in before, holy is an adjective, and spirit is a noun. And so as we keep going through the the New Testament, that's what we're going to find. And the, the question that's burning in my mind is why? In the Old Testament, is it the spirit of holiness, both being nouns? And in the New Testament, it becomes Holy Spirit with one being an adjective describing the noun spirit. Up until the third, the fourth century, actually the 300s, the Council of Nicaea, the teaching was that there is one God, and God manifests Himself in three ways. He interfaces with people as the Father, as the Son, or as a Holy Spirit. In the fourth century, the Catholic Church said, No, 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 there is a Trinity. That God is three coexistent, co equal persons. That is, that we have three gods around a campfire trying to fight over who gets to be in charge. And that's pretty much the way that the doctrine has gone since the fourth century. But it wasn't that way before. So let's just chew on that for a while and go back to Romans.
2: Yes, um, i I've been chewing on this ever since you used that first phrase there about the spirit of holiness. And we talked about that a little bit last week. But does it have anything to do with, like, like when I saw spirit of holiness, I thought, well, that's like a character trait as opposed to the position of the Holy Spirit being a person.
1: I
0: understand you can't hear. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm saying too, so we'll chew on that. Back to Romans chapter 14, up to verse 18. For he who serves Messiah in these things, what things? Righteousness and peace and joy is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. The word edify means to build up. In other words, instead of tearing down a brother because they're not doing things that you would do, build them up, teaching them the things that God commands us to do. Teach them the ways of God. But you first have to have a relationship before people are willing to listen. And verse 20, before we quit, we've got to look at verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it's evil for the man who eats with offense. The traditional church takes that and says, see, I can eat pigs if I want to. But what does all things refer back to? Verse 2. It's not pigs and shrimp and lobsters. It's those foods that God declared to be clean and food for people. So we have to keep it in context. Verse 21. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. What is that partial fast about? Meat and wine? And that's when he says all things in verse 20. He redefines here in verse 21. He's talking about the eating meat and drinking wine on Mondays and Thursdays. Yes, all things in verse 20
2: so when someone who does believe it,
0: that means all things how you say let's look back at verse 2 what is the context some people eat all things the others only vegetables and water it's not one who eats all things and the other only lambs and fish you have to look and see what the context is he defines all things as being all things god permitted And those who don't eat all things, God permitted, eat only vegetables and water on those particular days. Right, to them would have been obvious. If you were to go back in the days of Paul and walk around and go, who all thinks pigs are food? You'd have gotten stoned, probably. You got hit in the head with a rock. You're exactly right. Yeah. So let's look at verse 22 Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Meaning don't use it as a weapon against the weak believers who are still trying to come out of the rabbinic errors. Don't use it as a weapon. Have it to yourself before God. Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself And what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. So the one who says, I can't eat meat on Mondays and Thursdays, it'll offend God, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. That's wrong. That attitude is wrong. That's what he means. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. And that's the bottom line here. Whatever is not from faith is sin. So let's look at Hebrews 11 verse 6 as we're about to stop for tonight. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Daniel mentioned this earlier but without faith it is impossible to please him being God for who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him I've got an awful lot of messianic brethren in pulpits around the world saying that there is no pre-tribulation rapture that we must go through the wrath of God <clears throat> is that him being a rewarder of those who diligently seek him yes sir
1: the scripture that talks about false teachers who teach men to in error and take pleasure in them that, that follow their teachings you got that in your head offhand? which one that is
0: well, there's several places like that. One is Matthew 5, verse 19. Let's look at Matthew five nineteen and see if that's the one you're thinking of. Isaiah says, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever it does and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's only one of the verses about the false teachers. There's many others.
1: But this specifically says... They 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 teach men, you know, to do the wrong
2: thing and take pleasure, and, you know, in in them do you know? The
0: actual phrase of yeah. t- takes pleasure.
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay. One last one last
0: verse. Yes. There's just so many on false teachers. I don't know exactly which one that is off top of my head but James two. Verses fourteen to twenty six. Then we'll quit.
2: What does it profit my
0: brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? That's misunderstood sometimes. That means a mere declaration of faith. Will that save him? And the rest just goes on to explain this. So we'll leave that be and we'll pick up next week, Lord willing. In Romans chapter 15, verse 1.